Welcome back to The Jig Is Up. Of course, my name is Darcy. And unfortunately, not joining me tonight is Jason. Um, you know, life happens, and sometimes he will, he's not able to make it. Sometimes I'm not able to make it. So we're going to forge forward uh, with what I think is probably the hot topic on everybody's social media today, which is the resignation of uh, Jody, Jody Wilson-Raybould from Cabinet. And if, for those who don't know, she was obviously our Attorney General and then was shuffled over to Veterans Affairs. Everybody saw it as a demotion. Which I think is a little demeaning to Veterans Affairs, but uh, let's set that aside. That's a topic for another day. Uh, so everybody kind of regarded this as a demotion. Everybody's wondering why, what did she do, what happened, what was going on. And then uh, the story broke, and I have to admit that it was an unsubstantiated story. And But the story broke that there was pressure from the Prime Minister's office uh, to on, and, and Jody Wilson-Raybould wasn't caving into the pressure to help, you know, push the SNC-Lavalin case through faster or deal with it or, or give them leniency. And so there was these rumors, and then today with her resignation, I think it's kind of given those rumors a little bit of, a little bit of leg to stand on. So I just wanted to play a little clip from the Prime Minister responding to her resignation. Last night, I accepted Jody Wilson-Raybould's resignation from Cap. Frankly, I am both surprised and disappointed by her decision to step down. And let me tell you why. This resignation is not consistent with conversations I had with Jody a few weeks ago when I asked her to serve as Canada's Minister for Veterans Affairs and Associate Minister of National Defence, nor is it consistent with the conversations we've had lately. In regards to the matter of SNC-Lavalin, let me be direct. The Government of Canada did its job and to the clear public standards expected of it. If anyone felt differently, they had an obligation to raise that with me. No one, including Jody, did that. So that's the Prime Minister and uh, kind of commenting on both the resignation and the SNC-Lavalin um, rumors that there was pressure from his office. And, uh, you know, whether whether it's true or not, I, again, this just kind of gives the, the, the whole rumor legs to stand on. Um, and, you know, very worst-case scenario, it just seems, seems quite obvious that uh, Jody Wilson-Raybould wasn't happy about being moved out of the Attorney General position. Um, and so I don't know... You know, he says, well, this is inconsistent with conversations I've had. And maybe it was. Maybe she had those conversations, thought, okay, fine, whatever, I'll play ball with the party. And then at some point went, you know what, you know, screw this. I don't want to play ball with the party. I'm done. I want out of this. Uh, I don't know what the future for her holds. I don't think she said whether she's going to rerun as an MP, a, a liberal MP, or, or maybe an NDP or an independent. I don't know. Um, so it'll be interesting to see what happens in the next election. And um, certainly this news on this is ever-changing. So by the time I'm recording this, she may have already announced that she will rerun or something or what's going on. I don't know. But um, the last thing I saw was there was no clear path. She's just not in the cabinet anymore, which means she's not a minister. She's still an MP. She's still got her uh, member of parliament duties to perform. So uh, it... It's too bad. I think she was, I think 
quietly, she did some great things in uh, as attorney general. Unfortunately, I don't think those things got much for headlines or press or media. And so every it was kind of seen as like, what has she done? They haven't done anything in that office. But I think it's um I think that's a tough office because it's not the the uh, headline grabbing, you know, really exciting things like you know massive funding promises and things. I mean, when you look at what the prime minister can say about uh, veterans affairs or or indigenous affairs or whatever the hell that's called now. Crown Indigenous Relations, um, they can always announce $500 million for this or that, right? So it gets headlines. It's really splashy. And unfortunately, I think the Attorney General stuck with, well, we don't really have a lot of funding uh, it matters. It's more, you know, how do we change the criminal code? How do we pr- repeal a few things? How do we improve laws? How do we, you know, improve sentencing? I think one of the big things she did uh, was start the process to under to review the entire um, uh, per- jury uh, selection process. And I don't know if that got done or not, but I, I know it was started under her watch uh, because of the Colton Bushy and Tina Fontaine uh, verdicts. Uh, which brings me to that. We are actually a year since the Colton Bushy verdict. Uh, and unfortunately, you know, where his murderer was set free, was given a free pass. And uh, that weighed heavy on me. It weighed heavy on a lot of people. It was it was very much on social media, and, and a lot of people were commenting. Um, and it, so, I you know, a lot of this stuff just kind of happens all at once. But um, certainly, I'm I'm sad to see Jody Wilson Rabel go. Go. I think she was, or should have been, or or could possibly still be a star within you know, I guess the Liberal Party. Uh, unfortunately, I think this has probably tarnished that ability, but I have no doubts that she will go on to a very, um, you know, profitable and very, uh, strong career afterwards. So yeah, that's the, the big news there. I don't know. I don't really what else to say to that. I mean, I, I'm, I'm just sad to see her resign. And, uh, I think unfortunately for Trudeau, it does cast a shadow over that office, uh, over his staff. Now, before we all start, uh, you know, jumping on Trudeau and, oh, he's the worst thing in Canada, and, oh, my God, I can't believe the Prime Minister's office would do this, let's not forget the previous administration and what the Prime Minister's office did there. I mean, there was people that actually got convicted of crimes. There was people that paid off people. Like, this whole notion that the Prime Minister's office is innocent and Trudeau's the one that's tarnished the right... um, you know, respect of the office is absolute fallacy. Um, having said that, I'm, uh, you know, I, we criticize the Trudeau government constantly, and and so, and and with good regard, I, he deserves it. And so, it's a it's an interesting story, and it'll be interesting to see if there's any evidence that actually comes out about these allegations. Obviously, Jody Wilson-Raybould is is staying quiet, and one thing I did read is that she has uh, contacted a lawyer uh, to represent her and advise her through these matters. So again, that kind of gives some 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 substance to what these rumors are. So it'll, we'll be watching that for sure as it unfolds over the next little while. It'll be very, very interesting to see. <clears throat> Moving from that, that's kind of obviously the big news today. And I, I didn't have a lot prepared on that just simply because it was, you know, today and I had to work and stuff like that. But that's the big news for today. The other big news that uh, kind of came out last week, <laughs> which I thought... 
uh, there's, there's so much interesting um, you know, parts to this Indig- Indigenous Languages Act. Now, this act is is being put forth by the uh, Liberal government as part of their campaign promises. And of course, the it, this is the year of the Indigenous languages, so we got to do something to get headlines and and appease those voters and talk about reconciliations more. So they're going to create an office, and that office is going to be responsible for Indigenous languages. And what that means, as far as an office in the federal government, is it means that materials they will be responsible for translating materials uh, and things like that into those languages, which in and of itself is a great thing. Uh, they selected a, a handful of languages, I think a dozen or somewhere around there anyway, to to start with. And I think they said their goal is to eventually cover all the indigenous languages. Uh, now, <clears throat> here's where we, uh, here's where I find it interesting. The Assembly of First Nations and the ever-popular Métis National Council and its wisdom are calling the bill a landmark piece of legislation. But on the flip side, the Inuit um, organization, which I I can't pronounce the name, so I'm not even going to offend them by doing it, is calling the bill a symbolic gesture from a colonial system. And I thought this was very... And I, I actually had a suspicion this is exactly what would happen. You would have the two groups absolutely... Uh, how shall I put this gently, kissing the Prime Minister's ass about how awesome and amazing this bill is. And then you'd have the Inuit organization saying, yes, isn't really all that great. And that's exactly what, what has happened. Um, mad respect for Nathan, Nathan Obed, uh, ITK's president. He says the Liberals' legislation lacks any Inuit-specific content, doesn't address Inuit rights to speak their traditional language, or help to revive and promote it. Despite being characterized as a reconciliation and co-development initiative, the government of Canada engaged Inuit in bad faith through this legislative initiative. Obed said in a statement, ITK wanted nothing more than to truly co-develop a bill that we could champion with other Indigenous peoples and the government of Canada. He said, in no way was this bill co-developed with Inuit. Very clear, very, uh, you know... I, I just love this guy, man. He's He says it like it is, and he doesn't pull punches. Now, let's compare his statement about that, what I just said. Uh, in no way was co-developed with the Inuit. Let's compare that to what the other two major groups say. The Métis National Council said, This bill marks a giant step, first step in Canada's support for our long-standing struggle to preserve, revitalize, and promote the use of Machif which has been the most neglected of Canada's Indigenous languages, said Métis Nation Minister of Heritage and Culture Clara Morin Del Cole. I wish to commend the Government of Canada for enabling the Métis Nation to participate in the co-development of this legislation. The Assembly of First Nations said, This is landmark legislation to protect and strengthen Indigenous languages, the original languages of these lands, that embrace our identity, our worldview, and our nationhood, said National Chief Perry Bellegarde. No indigenous language in Canada is safe, but now there is hope. We have the great hope, people. Oh my God, I'm so glad for hope. Man, 
It's like thoughts and prayers. They're going to solve all the world's problems. Not actions, but hope and thoughts and prayers. But like, just in the contrast between those statements, you have these two organizations who absolutely champion every single thing that comes out of the liberal government. And then you have the Inuit ITK saying the exact opposite. So my question then would be to the Métis National Council and the AFN. When when you guys, when they talk about how knowing, um, you know, uh, this is to protect and strengthen Indigenous languages, what about the fellow standing a foot away from you who's saying this isn't going to strengthen or this wasn't even co-developed with my people? We have three recognized groups of Indigenous in this country. Inuit, Métis, and First Nations. The, all three were standing at the podium when this was announced to get the headlines and get the press. And yet somehow, the MNC and the AFN came to a completely different conclusion than the ITK. Now, out of this, the one I'm going to believe is the ITK. Simply because I... I that, to me, says he's speaking the truth. And it, I believe it. I believe the government didn't co-develop this, at least not the way Indigenous people, or Inuit in this case, would have wanted to co-develop. See, that's the thing that always is the catch. When you look at the government and they say, oh, no, no, we got, we, we, we got Indigenous people to, to sign on to this bill, or we, we, we um, consulted with First Nations people, or Métis people, they consulted with the AFN or the MNC. That's it. They didn't consult with Indigenous people. They consulted to what they think consultation means, not what Indigenous people think it means. This is clearly the case uh, of what happened with the Inuit in this, with the Indigenous Languages Bill. They, they consulted with the Inuit as the government sees fit. They feel they did a great job on it. The Inuit, however, feel differently. So is this really a bill to support Indigenous languages when the Indigenous people... One out of the massive amount of three groups, you have three groups to consult with, and one of them says, no, we were pretty much left out of the process. How is it the other two were so thoroughly consulted? I have a suspicion the consultation went something like this. Hey, uh, uh, Clem, we want to have an Indigenous Languages Act. You guys up for that? You guys, Can you just say yes? Clem goes, yeah, sounds good. All right. Will, will Machif be in there? Oh, for sure. We'll put Machif in there. Oh, okay. Perfect. Then we'll absolutely we'll sign anything you want. We'll say it's awesome. Fantastic. I believe that's about as far as the co-development went. And may, maybe it was more. Maybe, maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I'm being cynical. And, and maybe I am slightly exaggerating. But that you get my point. The point is, is how is it two groups out of three were consulted, but the one doesn't feel like they were consulted properly? You only have, in this case, you have three people or three organizations to consult with. And it's still too difficult for the government of Canada to get it right. Now, what is this Indigenous office going to do? Is it going to revitalize languages? How? You know who's getting the job in that office, right? Non-Indigenous people. 
just like every um, Crown Indigenous Relations Minister is a non-Indigenous minister. That's who's getting those jobs. So the government's created an office where colonial settler descendants are going to sit in the office and they're going to be in charge of Indigenous languages and translating them. And, you know, I'm sure they'll have some staff that can translate. They'll probably have a person that speaks each language on contract. So, you know, and they'll probably pay them per translation or some stupid thing. Uh, you know, and then what happens to this when the Conservatives come into power? I, I It's probably shut down. I can't imagine them keeping it. Uh, you know, it's probably $2 million a year they don't need to spend and they can give to their rich friends. So, this is it a long-term solution? I don't know. Uh, it does nothing for the fact that are materials in those languages going to be available to the people that speak those languages from K to 12? That's kindergarten to grade 12. Uh, or I guess kindergarten to high sc- finishing high school, whatever province you're in, are those la- is are the, all of their school materials going to be translated for them and, and and given to them in their language to revitalize? I don't think that's in the plan. That's a lot of work. I don't think that's in the plan. So, you know, this goes every time we do this show, we have an example of where the Métis National Council and in this case the AFN are so attached to Trudeau, and they will absolutely, they're like bobbleheads. They just nod for everything he does. I mean, David Chartrand has gone, and Clem Chartier have gone so far as to say, Trudeau is the answer to Indigenous people's prayers. Well, I've been with a lot of Indigenous people who, you know, in ceremony, just regular prayers, uh, in meetings that were open with a prayer, public gatherings that were open with prayers. I've never heard anybody say thank you for the Prime Minister of Canada for answering all of our prayers, except the Métis National Council. And so every, it's, I feel like every week we have an example where these organizations are just saying yes to whatever the government has to offer. And it it makes you wonder exactly why. What are they being promised? Um, now, I think we make need to make the very clear distinction that whatever the promises are, it's not promises for the people. It's promises for the organization. Is the organization going to get a 30% funding boost to their core operating funding? That's pretty substantial. That means raises for people. That means more traveling, more law, lawyer fees. Are they getting other things? Are they getting, you know, specific funding for other things that aren't going to filter down to the people? You know, we've talked endlessly and endlessly and endlessly about the broken promises, the failed promises, the promises that just don't seem to ever come into fruition with funding and housing dollars and things like that. Is that, like, these guys just seem to be saying yes to everything, and it makes me worry. What exactly are they saying yes for, and what are they getting in exchange? Again, I I got lots of respect for Nathan Obed, um, the president of the ITK, for actually standing up for his people, being strong, and being willing to say this is not acceptable, this is not good enough, this is not reconciliation. And I... I loved his statement that uh, this is a symbolic gesture from a colonial system. This is 
a symbolic gesture. That means this office is going to be there, and the pro- liberals can say, wash their hands of it and say, we fulfilled a promise. Woohoo! But what does it mean? What does it mean to the people on the ground trying to learn these languages? What does it mean to all indigenous languages? What does it mean to have a, a staff of, I don't know, let's say even 15 people in, in an office in Ottawa? What, what are those people doing to revitalize a language? How are they doing that? They're not out in uh, Treaty 7 territory trying to go around talking to elders, trying to get things translated, trying to do the work on the ground to, uh, to get materials for uh, you know kids to, in Blackfoot country to learn Blackfoot and, and revitalize Blackfoot language. They're not doing that. And I only use that as an example because that's where I'm, I live. But they, they're not doing that. They're sitting in an office in Ottawa. Or best case scenario, best case scenario, you have a bunch of offices in every province and territory that has five staff members each, and no one really knows what those staff members do. <laughs> so let's create more bureaucracy, spend a few more million dollars of taxpayer money to really get next to no result. So I think it's, uh, I thought that was really telling. I don't know how um, you guys feel about uh, the Indigenous Languages Act. Certainly, you know, mention it on social media. Go to our Facebook page and uh, let's have a conversation about that. I think, uh, you know, after this episode or, or even the, the stories that we post there. Been trying to post a few more, you know, headline type stories there. Um, but yeah, let us know how, what you think of this Indigenous Languages Act on our Facebook page and make it so that everybody can see it and we can have a discussion about it. Because I just, I, I don't believe this is going to have a major impact on uh, Indigenous languages. I think, you know, five, ten years from now, yeah, there could be a little, a moderate improvement in, as far as maybe there's a few, a bit, some more material available, some more books available in those languages. Um, but how quick are they going to be able to, are they going to be to get, you know, languages from coast to coast to coast translated? They've started with a list of, you know, maybe, like I said, a dozen languages. So it's, it's not a huge list. Um, so I'm, I'm just not sure. I don't, I don't see the effectiveness of this office or this legislation or, or anything like that. It, it certainly did not make indigenous languages. Uh, a national language like French or English. It hasn't done that. So you want to talk nation to nation, but indigenous languages are not considered a recognized national language. Interesting. So you're, you're nation to nation, but your language is less than ours. Telling. Very telling. Uh, so you guys, I'll let, I'll let you guys decide with that. I, I just, I think those are some... Very clear, clear, clear uh, signs that the MNC and the AFN have their, you know, lips wrapped around fully around the government teat, and they are suckling. And uh, I just I don't know how much more clear it can be. It's how you can have such drastically different statements from one group to the other, who sat in the same room who sat, stood at the same podium, who stood shoulder to shoulder when this was being announced. <laughs> and you just get 
this is our great hope. And this is a symbolic gesture from a colonial system. I, <laughs> the, you know, when you look at, I could even understand if, if it was very similar, like, well, it's a good stab, but it doesn't, it's not enough. Hey, yeah, I get that. It's a work in progress. But to go from, it's a symbolic gesture from a colonial system to, now we have hope, and this is fantastic. I mean, there is a huge gray area in between those two polar opposite statements. So I got a good chuckle out of that. I thought it was hilarious. I thought it was exactly as I expected. When I first read the headlines and I saw the three uh, presidents all standing behind, uh, I, I can't remember if it was the prime minister that announced it or who it was, but it, when they were, I seen them all standing there, I went, Oh, I, I bet you the MNC and AFN are like all over this, man. They're just like, this is the best thing ever. And I'm like, I wonder what the Inuit are going to say. And uh, I wasn't, I, I was surprised, but not surprised. So it, it, I thought that was funny. Um, one of the stories that I've been working on kind of as a sideline uh, thing, just on my own. And I'm no journalist, so, I, you know, I just, I, I've been talking to a few people. And, and what it, what I've been thinking about there's been something that's been bugging me ever since the last Métis Nation of Alberta election, which was, uh, what, three months ago? Probably almost four months ago now, maybe even more. Um, oh, geez. Yeah, it was September? I can't... I, anyway, sorry, I'm sidetracking. Ever since that election, I've been... I've just had this thing rolling around in my brain. I've I heard so many people saying they were not allowed to vote. They have Métis Nation member cards, but they weren't allowed to vote. So I, I I made some phone calls and I reached out to some people I knew and they got me in touch with a friend of a friend of a friend of a friend who would, was willing to talk to me. And I'm not I'm not going to publish their names or anything, but I did talk to a few people. Uh, so I, I, I do have credible sources. And these were people that were denied their right to vote. And they were denied that right to vote in the last Métis Nation of Alberta election because their card wasn't updated. Now, some of you are thinking, well, they should have updated their card. Then they could have voted. And I want to contrast that, and I just want to say, if you were to vote in a Canadian federal election or a provincial election or a municipal election, you need a piece of mail with your address on it. Or maybe two pieces of mail with your address on it. Now, they keep changing those rules and fidgeting with them, and Harper was big on, oh, there's massive voter fraud, and he was all paranoid, and there wasn't. But anyway, besides the point... um. <laughs> you don't need an updated passport. You don't need, you know, a current whatever. You need a couple of pieces of mail with your address on it. And you need to, ver you know, swear that you have, you know, lived in Alberta for X amount of time in order to vote or whatever. So it's actually easier to vote in a Canadian federal election, a Canadian provincial election, a Canadian municipal election than it is to vote in the Métis Nation of Alberta election. You have a private club. Sorry, it's not a club. You have a private club <laughs> that is says they have about 33,000 members. And out of the 33,000 members, only 10 per, roughly around 10% voted. And I wonder how many people actually just turned away or didn't go to vote because they don't have a new card. Now, the people that I talked to about these new cards uh, said... They were never given any notice by mail, email, phone call, or by newsletter or anything else 
saying, you have to update your card by this time or you will not be able to vote. You have to update your card at all. Uh, the people I talked to had no idea that uh, a card upgrading was in process. And it actually, most of them didn't find out until they went to do something else where they needed their card. And these were various things. Uh, and then they were like, oh, well, we can't provide you that service because you don't have an updated card. And they were like, what? And, like, and by the way, you won't, you're not going to be able to vote in the next election because your card's not updated. Now, we're not talking, you know, you, you, I'm, I'm going to speak for here in Alberta because I don't know what it's like in every province. Um, but here in Alberta, when my driver's license goes to expire, I simply go to the licensing office um, and I, I walk in. I have a couple of form, other forms of ID. I take my old driver's license and I give it to them and they take it. They give me a new picture. They put the new picture on the new license and then, you know, they give me a temporary thing and then it comes like uh, two, three weeks later in the mail. That's now that makes me legal to drive in every province and I believe in every state in the United States. It gives me the, the right and uh, privilege of driving a few thousand pound weapon at high speeds down a asphalt, uh, you know, runway. And yet, the Métis Nation of Alberta makes their members go through, even though they've got a card, they've got your records, they just basically go, and eh, delete, and you got to sign up with all your new paperwork. Everything, full genealogical even more paperwork, and if there's one little piece of paperwork out of place, nope, we can't do it. You can't be a member anymore. So to be a member of a club, you have to go through this process. To vote, you have to go through this process. At what point do these people really, truly think they have a democratic system? What is democracy to these people? Just having a vote doesn't make you democratic. Russia has votes, has elections. That doesn't mean they're the, the picturesque democracy. And so it's been really bugging me. And, and, and I wanted to talk to a few people just to get the story straight, just to get the story right from the people that actually went through it. And I can, I can say that the people I talked to actually went through this process. Um, and they're still in the waiting for their new cards. They're still waiting for their updated card. And it's been months and months and months. So again, how the hell long does it take to get a card? I mean, I can get a driver's license in two to three weeks. Now, considering that registries probably deals with... In Alberta, we have, what, I think it was like three million people, something like that few million people, I'm going to guess and say there's probably 100,000 licenses a year minimum that they have to send out between new drivers, renewing drivers, expiring licenses, all that kind of stuff. So I am bet you it's way higher, but I'm let's say 100,000 licenses, and they can get those out in a couple of weeks. When I go to renew my passport, it takes, uh, like I think it's like four to six weeks to get your passport in the mail. Your passport, your Canadian passport, that you can travel the world with, you can cross borders with, you can go to any country in the planet with, if you want. 
And you have the Métis Nation of Alberta card, which gets you nowhere. Uh, if you're super lucky and you get a Border Patrol guy between the U.S. and Canada that's, like, having a great day and, you know, their spouse and them had a good night the night before and he, they're in a really good mood, maybe you get across with that card. But the truth is, is right now, you get into the national parks in Alberta only for free. A card that gets you into the national parks for free gives you some access to potential scholarships if you're of that age. That card takes months and months and months to get. And I don't know why. I mean, there's got to be a software like Ancestry that you can plug people's information into. And if you find through the course of time that, hey, you know what, this, in, this adoption record's a little bit inadequate, contact them and say, listen, we came across a little hitch in your paperwork. We're not saying you're not a member. We're not saying you're not Métis, but we need to get this fixed. So is there any way you can get that fixed? We, we're going to give you a six-month leeway to get it fixed. If not, we're going to have to suspend you. Like, do something like that. Be reasonable. But just to simply decide, everybody needs a new card now, we're not going to tell anybody. <laughs> that it's, it's ridiculous. Absolutely ridiculous. So that's something that has been driving me insane since the last election, and I don't know why more people aren't upset about it. Um, I don't know why more people aren't taking the initiative to, you know, here in Alberta they had their Métis judiciary, was they were supposed to reinstate it. I don't understand why people aren't phoning and emailing their regional president every friggin' day saying, why have you not got somebody elected for Métis judiciary? Because it is not up to Audrey to do that. It is in their bylaws. It is very clear. It is the regional responsibility to elect somebody to the Métis judiciary. So get on that. Get doing it. And as far as these people who had a card, I mean, I can't give away specifics of the people I talked to. Let's just say they were very, very, very connected to the Métis Nation for years. Decades. And now... Now the Métis Nation is saying, oh, you're not even Métis. Not Métis until you get our card again. And we're not giving you a card until you do your full-blown genealogical report. And it's got to absolutely be bulletproof, or else you're still not Métis. Like, it's ridiculous. Absolutely ridiculous. They are running these organizations like their own little playpen. And they are just sucking the money out of the government, every little dime they can get out of the government. And I don't know why people are so okay with it. I don't know why people are so okay with just standing by and nothing happening. A few years ago, the MMF was found to, and the and the MNC were found that they were putting through expenses that were, had nothing to do with expenses. Uh, Clem, the MNC bought a bunch of Clem Chartier's books and expensed them. And the government and the auditor finally said, hey, uh, that's not a business expense. <laughs> you can't buy your president's books and call it a business expense. And they just got away with it. It was like in the, in the area of a few million dollars of illegal expenses, of bad expenses put through. And as far as I know, nobody's had to pay a dollar of it back. Nothing's ever happened to these guys. They just kept to keep going, keep continue on. Absolutely. 
And then people wonder. I get pe- people ask me, why do you and Jason spend so much time talking about the financials and talking about, you know, how much money they spend on the budget? That's not really the big important issues. I disagree. These people aren't res- responsible with their money at all. They're not transparent with it, and they're not accountable at all. Zero accountability in these organizations. So I uh, I just wanted to bring that up. It's been something, that, like I said, it's been rattling around my head. It's been bugging me. I don't understand why people are not allowed to vote in an organization that they're part of. They've been part of for decades, and now suddenly they're not good enough to vote. Uh, it, it, it's It's... It's demeaning, it's insulting, and it's unnecessary. So so that's kind of all I had tonight. Uh, I know it's uh, not as fun when it's just me, uh, and I kind of wish Jason was here and get his input on some of these uh, topics, especially the Jody Wilson-Raybould thing and the Indigenous Languages Act, uh, you know, just to get his input. But uh, I'm hoping he will be back next week, uh, and I hope things are going all right in his neck of the woods as far as weather and everything goes. It's been, as everywhere, it's pretty cold. And uh, to my friends in Victoria who are going through Snowmageddon 2019, are all of Canada's hearts just break for you? Uh, <laughs> that's just an inside joke. Um if you like having independent Métis media, such as The Jig Is Up, uh, if you think it's important to you or to Métis people, uh, and you want to hear more stories from around this land, uh, from elders, from more people, from more Métis people, um, check us out on our Patreon page, www.patreon.com slash jigisup. And the link will be in the description of this show. And sign up for as little as five bucks a month. Uh, that is very much appreciated to all of the people that are our patrons now. You guys are the reason this show has continued as long as it has. Uh, I hope that we continue to bring content that people enjoy, and I hope that people continue to spend an hour listening to us rant and rave and think it's worth spending five bucks. Now, I will say that if we get more people signing up on Patreon, it will free us up a little bit to be able to uh, to have the resources to travel a little bit and get out and actually get some voices from communities, different communities and different places. So please consider doing that. And if you can't, I hope that you just share it on your social media and let everybody know, obviously, about our podcast and about our Patreon page. So huge thanks to those that are already signed up and a huge thanks to those that share it or sign up in the future. Now, uh, I guess for both Jason and I, even though he wasn't here, I will be, we will both be back next week, hopefully. And, but until then, the jig is up. You are the spark that's starting a fire that will spread across this land. And it will be a fire that doesn't burn, but a fire that cleanses, a fire that ignites in our hearts and creates light. <laughs>